Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. I am really looking forward to this message today. And one of the reasons is I'm not actually exactly sure where it's going to end. I'm confident of this. I have more content today, more things written in my notes, more scripture prepared than I'm going to have time. And so I want to begin to unpack this. And I hope that over the next number of minutes, you'll find yourself inspired and also that you'll find yourself maybe a little bit hungry to go a little bit deeper. Today, as we continue in this series, how do you know? We're talking about truth. We're talking about the uh, the authority of truth. We're talking about the fact that truth can be offensive. If you remember two weeks ago, we looked just at, at nine simple things that truth is. You can go back and watch that message. And then last week, we had Pastor Leila Nahavandi speaking about the reliability of Scripture. So based on those things, if truth is knowable and authoritative and maybe even offensive, and if the Bible is a the, the place that truth is revealed, let's look to the Word today and believe that God would speak to us. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is the title of today's message. You can handle the truth. You can handle the truth. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie A Few Good Men. I don't feel like it's that big of a spoiler. It was released in 1992. If you you didn't want to watch it, you you haven't watched it. If you wanted to, you have 29 years is a a lot of time. But there's that culminating, epic, uh, fulcrum point line of the whole movie When the character on trial says this, like, I want to know the truth. And he says simply, you can't handle the truth. But when it comes to God's word, you can handle the truth. In fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this where the Apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy to handle it right. Why don't we start there today? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. He says this, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It has no value. It only ruins those who listen. For some, that's your whole sermon right there. You probably just need to pause and consider that. Stop quarreling. Stop picking fights that don't matter. It's just ruining the people around you. But then it says this, verse 15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one who's approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Let's pray today. Jesus, I ask that in these next few minutes that I would correctly handle the word of truth. I ask that in the days, in the weeks, and even the years to come that we as a church would correctly handle the word of truth. I ask that every listener today would would embrace the challenge to handle your word of truth correctly in such a way that we could affect change in the world around us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. This morning before I came in to to record this message, my son Zion said, Dad, I want to read you a story. Zion is not yet three years old, and the story that he had selected was a book he got from the library about baby pandas. He, He proceeded to open this small book and flip through the pages. I took note that he didn't flip through the pages in order, nor did he flip through them one page at a time. He just kind of found a page that he thought was interesting and began to read for me 
the words on the page. Well, as you can imagine, he didn't read a single word on the page. He only described what he felt the pictures might be saying. He said, death, baby pandas are black and then they're white. And I said, really? Zion, that's amazing. He said, yeah. Then he flipped two or three more pages and he said, dad, pandas love to eat sticks called bamboo. I said, that's, that's awesome. And then he, yeah. He turned over a few pages and he said, pandas love to sleep on trees. And then he closed the book and he said, the end. Do you know what I said to him? I, I, I didn't correct his diction. I didn't correct his order. I didn't say, Zion, you missed multiple pages there. I didn't go and say, actually, technically, you know, the anatomy of a panda bear is not that it is changing from white, white to black or black to white. I said, Zion, you read that book really well. You should go read it to your mom. And he was so confident and so excited that he had begun on a journey of reading. You know, in many ways, I think that our understanding of Scripture ought to look more and more like that, where we are grabbing hold of what makes sense now and we are growing with it. But I fear far too often that the approach that maybe I've had, maybe you've had expressed to you is if you don't under, understand everything, then you just don't understand anything. That if you don't have everything right in life, that you're just an idiot when it comes to, to the scripture. In fact, maybe ignorance has been placed on you like a burden and you've thought, I'll never really understand. It's so hard to understand God's word. Or, or perhaps in effort to take a shortcut, you've kind of said, can you give me the Cliff Notes version somewhere? I just want to know a couple things and then I want to close my ears off and do like the la 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 la. I can't hear you because once I get into it, if I don't understand it all, it's going to be frustrating or it's going to be maybe ineffectual or unproductive. Well, here the Bible encourages us that study can actually lead us to rightly handle the word of truth. That the, the, the way to understanding is not quarreling. That the way to understanding more is not just fighting it out. In fact, it goes on to say this, avoid godless chatter. Those who indulge in it will only become more and more ungodly. If you're just fighting for the sound of your own voice, you're missing the point. But we can properly handle the word of truth in such a way that, that with God's approval, we can actually be effective and productive in the lives of others. Now, if you've been at Vivid Church for a while, maybe this sounds a little bit familiar. In fact, in the, in the month of February, I preached a message called, That's My Jam. I'm going to put that at the end of this service today, a little card. You can go back and watch that because we, we just briefly touched on this passage of Scripture and the effect that, that it has. Now, if you remember, the word handled, it actually has two meanings. And I want to pull those out today and have a look at them for a second. To rightly handle the word of truth. One of the pictures used uh, in describing that word is the way a farmer accurately plants their rows of seeds in lines, in straight lines. Uh, lately at my house, we've been working on a, a vegetable garden. And so every weekend we're out there in the yard, we're pulling up uh, earth, we're pulling up some moss and different things that have grown in these few few beds, and we've planted some radishes, we've planted some cilantro, we've planted some carrots and some onions and some tomatoes, and in doing so, we were careful to mark straight lines. One, because we want to know where we can expect to see future growth. Two, we want to know what that plant is before we have to pull it out and see, oh, that was a carrot, I was actually looking 
for, for a radish. We want there to be some order to it. Well, in the same manner, truth, when handled correctly, does have some order to it. And it's the straight lines of truth that actually make it really evident where there's areas of our life that are out of line. It makes it really evident where there are portions of our life that, that simply don't line up with what we believe to be true. I want to be a person who's consistent, who rightly handles the word of truth in such a way that, that my whole life aligns to it. That, that, that everything I do is aligning to the truth that I profess in the word of God. And so in order to do that, I need to keep the same energy from Genesis through to Revelation. I need to keep the same energy for the portions of Scripture that reaffirm biases I have and for the portions of Scripture that obliterate my biases. I need to approach the Bible with humility. I need to approach the Bible with consistency. I need to approach the Bible with a hunger to learn what God has to say and what he will reveal to me. I need to approach the the Bible with the conviction that I'm actually going to do what it says. I'm going to put straight lines in my life and say, if if God is my authority, and if God has revealed this to be true, then I'm going to follow in what is true. And when it costs me and there's sacrifice to it, I'm going to keep doing it because there's a straight line to this thing. I'm handling the word of truth properly. The other aspect to this word handle, the other picture given to describe what it means to handle correctly is to properly apportion food to guests in your home. It would be a a word used to say, if you have this much food and this many people, how will you properly apportion so that each of them are fed appropriately? Now, now this is kind of interesting. It means we need to know the people that we're serving. It means we need to have an understanding and a comprehension of the people that we are trying to communicate truth to. Do you know that a a newborn baby requires about 300 calories a day to grow in a healthy manner. Maybe a little bit more if the baby is is bigger, maybe a little bit less if the baby is premature. And as they grow and as they develop, of course they will require a higher caloric intake. But isn't that interesting that the amount that it takes for a baby to grow would actually cause me to shrink? Like like a, a grown man, if I only was to eat the proper apportioned amount for a baby, what would help them live would actually cause me to die. And vice versa, what I would need to grow would actually cause them to suffer. We need to really understand the word of truth and who we're trying to serve it to. That's why Paul says, don't get into godless chatter. Don't get caught up in quarrels because what you end up doing is serving the wrong portion to the wrong person. And and some are malnourished and others are overfed. Some are dying in this conversation while others are, are have more than they can possibly process. So the Bible says, if we can study to show ourselves approved, be the type of workers who put effort into it, who keep that same energy to align our life according to God's word, and then also handle it with care for who we're going to serve it to, then that's a lifestyle that is approved unto God. If you're a part of this church, I want you to know my heart for you as your pastor is not simply that you would tune in on a Sunday and hear what I have to say, and then I'll see you again next week. 
My heart isn't simply one day we're going to be back in live services, show up, occupy a seat, and then leave. My, my heart for all of us is that we would develop a hunger for God's word and handle it in such a way that our entire life aligns to his authority and, and that there's a consistency and a care in the way that we serve what we know to be true to the world around us that all would see and all would hear and see a reflection of the light of Jesus' life for all to see. So how are we going to properly handle the word of truth? If the Bible implies that it is possible to handle that word of truth, then, then how can we do that? It's like all well and good that, that I say you can do it, but it doesn't help unless I tell you how to. Well, let me give you a few guidelines today. These would not be comprehensive realities. This is all you need to do, step one, two, and three, and we're done. But maybe more a few guidelines that we could live by if we're going to handle the truth. Number one, handle with care. If we're going to handle the truth well, we should handle God's word with care. How, how do you know that God has revealed that to true? Because I'm holding onto his word with some care. Have you ever seen that marked on the side maybe of a, a box or a, a bag? Maybe you're in an airport and you see someone with a handle with care sign. I've heard from people who work for airlines that sometimes that indication handle with care is actually met with aggressiveness from the baggage handlers hate to blow blow up their secret there but it's interesting you would put that that term handle with care on something that is particularly fragile but you would also put that that same marking on something that is potentially explosive something that's fragile or something that is potent I want to propose to you today that we ought to handle God's word with care, not because it's fragile, but because it's potent, not because it's easily breakable. It's not with a, a intimidation factor. I just got to be so careful with God's word because if I allow outward forces to enter in in any way, it's going to obliterate my faith. No, I want to handle God's word with care because if I really hold on to this word of faith, it has the power to change the world. Do you believe that? It has the power to change the world. Let me show you this. In, in John 17, 17, Jesus is praying. He's praying for his disciples. And then by extension, he says, not only them, but all who will come to believe the truth. And look what it says in John 17, uh, 17. Uh, let me go back to 15. It says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Seven, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Why should we handle God's word with care? Because it has the power to sanctify us. That's a real churchy word, that word sanctify. Like I, I heard it in one song once, didn't know what it meant. Or I've, I've said it but never understood it. Or probably more potentially, I've never heard that word ever used. What is the Bible talking about? Well, well the word sanctify is the progressive work that the Holy Spirit is doing in my life and in your life to make us more like Jesus. I read this quote today. I want to share it with you. Charles Spurgeon said this. The work of Christ for us is perfect, and it were presumption to think of adding to it 
at all. However, the work of the Holy Spirit is not perfect. It is continually carried out from one day to the next. And it will need to be continued throughout the whole of our lives. Meaning this, when Jesus saved you, you are saved for good. But the work of the Holy Spirit is ongoing until the day we die. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. We are becoming more holy. And you know what's happening is slowly but surely, God is pointing out some things in our life that need to change. Have you had that experience? I hope it's been recent. I hope you can think of some things even recently that God is pointing in your life and saying, it's time for that to move. There's some things that were acceptable at one point in time that just simply aren't acceptable anymore. Why? Because God reveals himself progressively. Now imagine if God's opening line was every expectation he would ever have of us. It would be too much to possibly comprehend. But instead, in the person of Jesus, we see the full radiance of God revealed, an invitation to salvation, an invitation to freedom from our past, an invitation out of our brokenness, out of death into life, and then an invitation into relationship where we will walk with him. And as we walk with him, we will become more like him. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians. Oh, I'm getting excited. I think I said it with a lisp. 1 Corinthians 13. Check this out. In verse uh, 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror and we shall then see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. That means this, that the more we look to Jesus, the more he reveals himself. I've read the Bible through probably conservatively more than 20 times. And I have yet to, to find my way working through the Bible where something new is not revealed. I'd venture to say this, it's a rare day where I open the scripture and there's not something fresh and new and alive in my life. In fact, if I'm reading my Bible and there's not something new for me that day, I'm not going to stop reading until there is an action step, something for me to do. How do we handle the word? Well, how do we handle this truth? Well, we handle it with care. Not only is the word sanctifying us, look what it says in Proverbs 12 and verse 22. This is the power of of the, of the truth. Proverbs 12 and 22 says this, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. He delights in those who are walking in the truth. The, the, the truth has the power not only to sanctify us, not only to progressively make us closer to the image of Jesus, but it also has us the opportunity for us to walk in the delight of God. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in that light, the delight of God. 1 John 3.18 says this, that we should love not in word, but in action and in truth. It's easy to say we love something, but true love is backed up in action and in truth. How powerful is truth? It's sanctifying me. It's inviting me in the, to the delight of God. It's actually allowing me to express love. And in John 4, 24, it says this, that God is spirit 
And true worshipers need to worship in spirit and truth. My goodness, the truth is potent. It's powerful. It's the way we express worship. It's the way we walk in love. It's the invitation to walk in the delight of God. And it is the process whereby God is sanctifying us and making us more like him. How do we handle the truth? Well, first of all, we handle it with care. First of all, we handle it with the appropriate honor, authority, and respect. I don't want to treat God's word casually. I don't want to treat it with disdain. I don't want God's word to just be one of many places that I look for truth. I want God to reveal himself in his fullness. Number two, I want to encourage us today. Let's allow the truth to handle us. How do we handle the truth? We let the truth handle us. We let the truth have authority in our life. We let the truth change us. I'm okay with with God's word beating me up a little bit. And I don't mean abusively. I mean like a coach or a trainer coming after me to bring the best out of me. I love Jesus' reminder in Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, where he's saying to to his disciples and he's he's, uh, instructing them to not be those people who are looking to point out the flaws in others before we've addressed the flaws in ourselves. The picture he gives is of a person who goes and points out to someone else, there's a little speck in your eye. There's something that you're not seeing clearly that I can see, perspective I have of you that you don't have of yourself. And Jesus says, before you address the speck in someone else's eye, you probably ought to address the plank in your own eye. I love Jesus' comic delivery. It's a hilarious thought. If you imagine it like a cartoon, a person with a large plank of wood sticking out of their eye socket who's pointing out a little speck in someone else's eye. Jesus is painting a picture with his point. He's saying, if we really care about the truth, let it handle us. If I want to handle this truth well, it's not just that that I'm loading my gun so I can go out and shoot shoot truth bullets to the world around me. It's I want the truth to change me. I want to address anything in my own life. I want to address my own blind spots. God, speak to the plank in my own life before I get mixed up in just looking at the specks and others. Let's let the Bible handle us. I love what it says in the book of James, that those who who stare at the word of truth continually. Let let me look it up. Uh, In the book of James, let's go down to uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 22. It says, don't merely listen to the word. You're deceiving yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and doesn't do what it says is like one who looks at their face in a mirror and after looking at themselves immediately goes forgetting what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it will be blessed in what they do. I want you to walk in God's blessing. An invitation into his blessing is allowing his word to handle you. It's it's getting in the ring, getting in the octagon with God's word and saying, I'm going to go as many rounds as it takes, but God, I know you got more power. You got the strength. I'm not trying to force you to believe what I believe, God. I'm not trying to force you into my perspective or opinion. I am a servant to yours. Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter three. I told you, I'm not quite sure where I'm going to end today. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, Philippians chapter three. Paul is speaking again, and he's talking to the Philippians, and he's talking about the, the, uh, the purpose for which God has called him. He says he's pressing on towards that for which God took hold of him. But look what it says here in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. 
I have not already obtained all of this. I love the humility that he has. Sometimes I think as, as leaders, sometimes I think as believers, sometimes as people who, who see ourselves maybe uh, as the mature figure in some sort of a circle, it's easy for us to put on the air that we've already obtained it. Paul goes, oh, I'm so far from there. I'm not there yet. He goes, not that I've obtained this, not that I've already arrived at my goal, but I do press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I'm doing is forgetting what is behind. I'm straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says this, I'm letting, I'm letting God deal with my life. I'm letting God's truth address some things in my life. You know what's interesting? That word attained, it doesn't mean simply to catch on. It means to tackle or to pull down. Paul says this, I'm pursuing and pulling down and tackling that for which Jesus tackled me. Isn't that, isn't that kind of cool language? He goes like, God stopped me in, my, in my, my way that seemed right to me, but was leading to death. And he apprehended me and he tackled me. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to chase him down and pull down everything I can. I'm going to chase God down, forgetting what is behind. I'm going forward. I want to pull all that God has for me out of his truth. Check this out. Jesus laid hold of Paul to make him a new man so that Paul would lay hold of that uh, and uh, of that and wanted to see that work done in others. Jesus laid hold of Paul to conform him into his image so that Paul would lay hold of that and wanted to see the nature of Jesus within himself. Jesus laid hold of Paul to make him a witness so that Paul would lay hold of that experience and testify to the world. Jesus laid hold of Paul to make him an instrument of conversion so that Paul would lay hold of that work in bringing Jesus to others. Jesus laid hold of Paul to bring him into suffering. And so Paul would lay hold of Jesus and experience blessing in the midst of that suffering. I don't want to just handle the word as if I am the judge and jury, as if I know everything and I'm picking and choosing. I want the word to handle me and understand everything that God has done. And he goes on to say this, all of this is for those who are mature, that they should take hold of the same view. We should have the same view. If we're mature, we got to have that same view that we've not already obtained it. There are some people, if we would simply start our next conversation with the humble reality that we might not know everything, that we might not have already obtained all truth that there is on a certain topic, that we might not be the living authority on what's happening politically in the world around us, that we might not be the living authority on exactly what God is doing in the world or what needs to change in order for revival to come. If we could simply have that same type of humble maturity. He says, all of this, then for those who are mature, is that we should take the same view. And if in some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join together in following my example. And he goes on to speak of unity. He goes, hey, when you, when we, you know, when we think we know everything, we're kind of missing it. 
Instead, in maturity, we ought to just acknowledge we don't know everything. We're just trying to, we're just straining to try to figure out everything God has for us. And we're only living up to what we've already attained. And if we differ on some things, let's let God change our hearts and change our minds. Part of what we've already attained is the reminder towards unity. And I want to speak this boldly, Vivid Church. If this is your church, listen to me. One of the things we have already attained is God has commanded us to live in unity with one another. He hasn't commanded us to live in uniformity where we all have no opinions on anything to avoid any sense of tension or conflict or or strife, but he has called us to lay down our differences and be united in one heart and in one voice. So we might not agree on everything, but we need to agree on how important unity is. We need to agree on this one thing. The reminder to us is if we want to be mature, we got to let God keep working on us. So I want to handle the word with care, but I also want to let the word handle me. I am not the smartest. I am not the strongest. I am not the wisest. I keep on saying this to to, uh, our, our leaders and the pastors on this team. Guess what? God chose us and God only chooses foolish things. He only chooses weak things. He only chooses broken things. God choosing us is not a foundation for personal pride. Him choosing us ought to be a foundation for incredible gratitude. And then lastly, if we're going to handle this word well, we also need to be ready to hand it off. I love what it says in First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Check this out. First Peter 3, 15. It says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this in gentleness and respect. If we're going to give an answer to a world around us that sees hope in our life, we better be ready to give that answer in gentleness and respect. We better be ready with gentleness, kindness, respect to hand it off. The purpose of truth is not that we could live on a tower on the top of a mountain, you know, surrounded by all our books, knowing how true we are. The purpose is that we could share it with the world around us. We have to hand this thing off. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. It says this, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Without adding any commentary, let me just read that one more time. And if this is for you, make a decision. God, your word can handle me right now. Make a decision. God, I'm going to handle this word with care. Let it change my life because I want to hand off truth. Listen again. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may may be a benefit to those who listen. No unwholesome talk. The whole purpose of us understanding truth is that God would sanctify us, but also that the truth that God reveals to us would actually be reflected through us to the world around us. Look what Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. I can't get this out of my mind over these last number of days. Look what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. He says, therefore, I am free. I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone 
to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like those under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those who not having a law, I became like one not having the law, although I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Look at that overarching desire that Paul has. Not his own rights, not his own freedoms, not his own comforts, not his own preferences. He goes, I'm super free. Like the gospel has made me completely free, but I choose to serve because I care for the salvation of others more than my own preference. I care for others' salvation more than my own rights. And so he he doesn't say, by the way, I will capitulate on doctrine for the sake of those who are without doctrine. He goes, I will be offensive when it comes to the gospel, but I'm not going to offend over customs, rituals, or any other sort of thing. Man, I got lots more to say, but only a little time to say it. Do you know, in the the 15th century, the nation of Spain was one of the superpowers, arguably the superpower in the world. And encrypted on their coins was uh, the, the statement... Uh, no plus ultra, meaning nothing is further. They had come to the ultimate conclusion that they were the apex, the peak, the pinnacle, the end. When a a few short decades, uh, through a series of discoveries, they realized there was a great big world outside of their small little continental country. And one of the effects was that they changed the inscription upon their coins to plus ultra, meaning more beyond. The truth is for some, you might have assumed that you've already reached the end, that you met Jesus and that's all you need to know. You might have assumed that you've reached the end because you're super smart and you've done your research and you've figured everything out and you know what you know what you know. But there's, there's a lot more beyond. God, God is still at work. In fact, I'm going to close with this today in John Chapter 16 and verse 12. It's one of the the freedoms that I I pray before I preach every single week. I I have dedicated my life to teaching God's word. And when I see Jesus share this, oh man, it gives me so much freedom. Look what it says, John 16 and verse 12. He says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He he won't speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Of course we got more to say. Of course there's more we can say on this topic. But if we're going to rightly handle the word of truth, we need to know that the author of scripture, the the spirit who breathed it into our, our lives, into existence, is also the one who wants an intimate relationship with us where he illuminates what is true. Much more we could say, but I can't say it as well as the Holy Spirit could. There's much more that we could dig into, but we couldn't say it as good as the Holy Spirit does. And so why don't we invite God's Spirit to speak in us, to help us to handle his word with care and to let it handle us and to have a desire to hand it off, to share it 
with the world around us, with the type of humility that says, I, I don't need to always be right. I just want people to see Jesus. Imagine if I slammed my son for reading the book wrong, for missing the words, and in doing so, I eroded his desire to learn and his passion for growth. Is he right? For two, he really is. And as he grows, more will be revealed to him. So God, I pray right now by your spirit that you would speak to our hearts, that you would allow this word to become more alive in our lives. We submit to it. We commit to it. We want to handle it rightly, aligning it properly so that there are straight lines of truth built one upon another. We also want to be able to portion it appropriately to the people around us. Give us wisdom in that nuance. Give us your, your presence in our study. And God, I ask this week for each one of us that it would become evidently clear an area where we need to change or grow. We don't want to be in this relationship just for you to affirm how great we already are. We do want to submit to you and change under your authority. We can handle this truth in that way, in Jesus' name. And right now, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, the first place to start is not to understand everything about him. It's to start with this reality uh, that Jesus is your Lord, and I give you authority in my life. I'm going to follow you. You can begin with a prayer of faith that's just like this. Jesus, I give you my life. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I know I've, I've messed up, I've sinned, I've missed the mark, but I repent and I receive your grace. And if that's your prayer today, you begin a relationship with Jesus that's gonna go from strength to strength to strength. You might have felt that there's nothing beyond, but there's more beyond. Love you guys so much. Look forward to seeing you next week. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.